welcome everyone to our Polaris podcast. I am Jeremy Wipek, a partner of Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, and we have with us our Chief Investment Officer and Managing Partner, Jeff Powell. Jeff, so great to talk to you. Thanks, Jeremy. How are you doing? Yeah, you know, I'm doing really well. It's uh, been an interesting couple of weeks. There's been a lot of talk just with some of the recent movements and some stocks that really have not done well. In fact, some of them were kind of left uh, uh, dead on the side of the street, so to speak, just because of their business models. And yet we've had a major surge in some of their prices. And I'm hoping that you can kind of walk us through what's going on there. Why are people talking so much about this? And and who are the people that are uh, potentially being impacted by this? Yeah, it's kind of funny hearing a, a few of the names that uh, that are being influenced uh, a little bit by, uh, you know, some of the, the trading going on with Reddit and uh, obviously Robinhood as well has been in the news. Um, a little bit of, of stocks of Christmas past, so to speak, with GameStop, a, a company that we owned a number of years ago uh, when its business model um, wasn't interrupted by uh, you know, business practices, which we can get into in a, a few minutes. But I think that, you know, in order for us to really kind of uh, describe what's going on, I think we need to lay a little ground uh, work here and, and give a little bit of background knowledge, Jeremy, if, if you're comfortable with that. I think what we need to do is talk first and foremost uh, what a hedge fund is. And then from there, um, what, you know, what a short sell is. And then people will understand a little bit more about why Reddit was going after um the hedge well a, a couple of companies that were short stocked within um you know that became a little bit more notorious and then we can kind of talk a little bit more about why this is going on and our feelings about that how does that sound yeah you know that sounds great jeff and uh you're right understanding more clearly what a hedge fund is and i guess more specifically what they can do within strategies and also shorts and the uh i guess the trade-offs that are there i think will go a long way to really help understand and explain some of the uh the reactions and the pains and and benefits felt by certain investors with this great so so let's go through a little history lesson then uh hedge funds uh hedge funds have actually been around for a long time uh maybe people don't realize this they've kind of come to to the headline news uh, over the last few decades, but the actual first hedge fund was actually created in the late 40s by a, a gentleman by the name of Alfred Jones. And the, the Jones theory of, of uh, being able to invest uh, b- via a hedge fund was actually, you know, academically uh, kind of an interesting thought process. So uh, the whole concept, and, and one thing to keep in mind is that Hedge fund is about as omnibus as saying mutual fund. Now, what is your mutual fund invested in or what is your ETF invested in? Uh, it can be large companies, it can be small companies, it can be dividend companies, growth companies, international, it can be bonds, it can be commodities, it can be you know, all sorts of different things that could be within something uh, like a mutual fund. Same thing with within the hedge fund world. There are hedge funds that are short only. There are hedge funds that are long only, uh, which uh, then they're using leverage, which to me, not really much of a hedge, but uh, uh, there are hedge funds that use options and futures or those that don't. Those are some, there are some that are called opportunistic, where uh, what they try to do is take advantage of a spread between you know, a mergers and acquisitions uh, situation where there's still uh, a difference between the buy and, and the sell price. Uh, and it's normally based upon you know, do people think that the deal is going to go through or not? So 
there's a number of different ways of being able to play uh, within the hedge fund world. Uh, but the Jones theory, the first hedge fund that was ever created, uh, again, academically had a kind of an interesting thought process. So the idea behind it was there was a way to remove market risk and to accentuate one's ability to uh, make better investment selections. So the thought behind it was uh, to go 140% long. So how do you go 140% long? You, you got to borrow money. So you're going out and you're buying uh, a, a much larger uh, amount of stock than you have money to do so. And then what you're doing is you're short selling uh, on the other side. Short selling is different than buying a stock. So when we buy a stock, uh, the idea behind it is you buy low, sell high. At least that's the goal. Uh, but what do you do if you've got a stock that you think is very overvalued that you think is going to go down in value? Now, what Jones theorized and was able to do was to borrow shares of stock that he didn't own and sell it first. So you sell high with the idea of buying back lower. And so what he did was went 140% long and 80% short. So he had over 200% of his money uh, invested. But yet if you take 140 minus 80, his exposure to the stock market was just 60%. So again, one of the things you know, with any portfolio, you know, things that we run, part of it is market risk. You know, is the rising tide going to lift ships or is it going to lower ships? And so Jones's theory behind it was to lower that risk. And if you were a really good uh, investor, you could buy stocks that were going to go up and you could sell stocks that were going to go down and make money on both sides of it. And that's where the hedge fund world began. So again, with short selling, and I'm going to reverse this on you, Jeremy. Maybe you can describe this a little bit better than I. You know, when an investor is short selling a stock, you know, let's say they're short selling a $100 stock, what's the maximum amount of money that they can make? And then a follow-up question, which would be, what is the maximum amount of risk that they take? Yeah, so this is actually the opposite of when you buy a stock long. So when you're short a stock, the most that you can make is the stock going down to zero. So if it's $100 and the stock price goes down to zero, you'll make $100 on that trade. Um, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you're wrong and the stock runs up, well, your loss is uncapped, right? It could go to any large number. So if it went from $100 to 200, 500, 1,000, 10,000, 100,000, obviously that would be um, the magnitude of the loss minus 100. And so there is a lot of risk when you go short. Um, and one of the arguments against shorting is that you have a small known return potential and an infinite loss potential. Yeah. Well, the other thing that most people don't kind of incorporate into this whole notion of short selling a stock also, we talked about it, you're borrowing shares. So there's the margin cost. And then if you are actually short selling a stock that's paying a dividend. So uh, if you think back to the kind of the Great Recession where uh, the financial industry came under a lot of pressure, the auto industry came under a lot of pressure, most of those companies paid a dividend uh, prior to you know, really falling into deep trouble which meant that if you're short selling the stock, you've sold it, you owe a dividend. So the other thing that I would incorporate into the, the risk factor is not only do you have to be right, but you gotta be right at the right time. Otherwise, 
I mean, as we've discussed in many other previous podcasts and other uh, write-ups in our Polaris Perspectives educational e- emails, is that it's really hard to be right be right at the right time. And most people are shooting for, let's just round it up and say a 10% return would be 100% equity return in the market. But if you're getting already hit with 2 or 3% uh, of your money is going towards margin, and another two or so percent is going towards uh, paying off a dividend, you may have a five, six, seven percent carrying cost uh, when you're short selling a stock, which means that if you're shooting for a 10% return and it's costing you five, you better be really good then. You gotta be twice as good as being on the long side because you've got these other things that are, are uh, making it more challenging to make money on the short side of the market. And what's, what's really interesting about that, Jeff, too, is because of all those other inherent risks when you're on the short side, there's also a lot of safety measures that tend to be put into place just so you can make sure that you control your risk. And so a common strategy that I see used when people are shorting is that they'll put limit orders to stop them out if they are wrong and so that the losses don't mount too quickly. So for example, if you buy that $100 stock that you used in your previous example, and then the stock price rises to say 110 or whatever you set your your bounds within, it's going to stop you out of that stock. So that way it doesn't get any worse. Now I bring that up because that actually goes back to your earlier example of what happened here with the Reddit and the Robinhood traders, um, because that, that safety mechanism actually backfired and actually, uh, cause additional pains for some of the players in the uh, in that space. Well, I think that we need to kind of go into that a little bit more because I'm not sure that everybody understands what a limit order is. And then sure. I think that we need to remind them about, uh, you know, what happens when you're when you're closing out a short sell. So what Jeremy is saying is, again, you, you, his example was a $110 limit order. So if I'm a short seller of a, a company, and I've shorted it at 100, and I want to make sure that I only have a t- potential 10% loss. I'm putting in a buy order at 110. So if you think about it in the context of, if the stock's already rising, there's buying pressure already involved. And so when the stock hits 110, uh, depending on if it has a, if it's a market order or a limit order, um, I'm triggering a buy there that's going to force the stock up even more. So, you know, taking it one step further, let's talk about, you know, GameStop in particular. You know, prior to Reddit, here's a company that, you know, again, I said that we owned a long time ago. So let's just talk a little bit about the history of this company for a moment, just so people kind of understand a little bit of what was going on there. Um, If you're not familiar with GameStop, GameStop is a retail uh, company uh, that basically deals with, you know, teenagers and and 20-something-year-olds and their online video games. Well, in days past, it wasn't online. In days past, and this was when we invested in it, um, it was a company that you would go in and you could actually trade your CDs, the the actual games themselves, uh, for new ones. And so if you had a bunch of old games, they would buy your old games. And if you didn't really care if you had the most up-to-date version of you know, XYZ game, you could trade, you know, you could buy the year before and pay a fraction of the price and be able to play a game that your friend was playing. Um, back in 2013, and this was the, the beginning of the end uh, for GameStop, 
Um, back in, in 2013, both uh, Microsoft and uh, Sony, so Xbox and PlayStation, uh, both firms came out and announced that they were no longer going to uh, support games that were CD games, and they were going to do everything online. Well, the stock peaked out at about $57, $58 a share back then. And again, we're talking about the end of, of 2013, and the stock did nothing but go down and go down and go down. And so what ended up happening in this situation is that short sellers started to try to take, uh, take advantage of this news. So again, if somebody had sold the stock back in the 50s, uh, it got down to you know, single digits, low single digits uh, by the end of last year. Uh, so it was down to about $4 a share. So that somebody that had short sold it uh, or was smart enough to short sell the stock uh, could have made a lot of money. Uh, when you think about it in that kind of fact, it's a tenfold return minus the interest that you would have owed in the stock. It was a dividend pair, so you would have owed some dividends uh, in the whole scheme of things as well. Then what went on was Reddit said, okay, well, here you've got these predatory hedge funds. And again, I don't like using that word predatory because I think, you know, when done appropriately, again, uh, on an academic level, you're actually taking less risk in some cases by being involved in a hedge fund. Uh, but to their extent, what they did was they went out and said, what companies uh, out there have the largest short sell exposure uh, as a percentage of the overall float of the number of shares that a company is trading? So all companies have a finite number of shares, uh, whether it be Apple, Amazon, Facebook, all the big names so, uh, have a specific float too. That's how you get buying and selling pressure and know that it's going up or down. Is based upon these things. So what they would do is go out and say, okay, well, GameStop in particular, let's just use that. There are a, a huge percentage, let's say 50% of the float here uh, is short, not long. Um, and so you've got a bunch of people that are, are betting on this company going bankrupt. Uh, again, really hard to resell uh, games when they're not even available for you to resell. So uh, GameStop has really kind of turned into an accessory uh, store uh, for the gaming world, uh, which is what's been hurting it. So what Reddit did was they came out and said, okay, we're going to start buying the stock. These guys are, are trying to bet that it's going to go down. Let's force the price of it up and let's see what goes on. And so the stock uh, in late uh, August, uh, again, $4 stock, but you know, started to move up, started to move up, started to move up. Now, if we're looking at what went on just recently, um, I mean, the stock was uh, in the mid-teens uh, based upon uh, some of the price movement. And then Reddit made its article happen. And within a few days, the stock went from the mid-teens, its high was almost $500 a share. Um, and then it's fallen back down. So to your point, Jeremy, I mean, what ended up happening here is some people don't put in those safety measures. Some people would ride that out. So the, the companies that uh, didn't have safety precautions involved, um, if you've got enough, I mean, we were saying before that you are have an infinite loss potential. If you see a stock go from 16 to 500 on a short side of things, that can create massive losses. 
And then what that can create is actually having the custodians that were holding the assets for these hedge funds uh, actually have a margin call and force them to buy out those shares, which is part of what went on as well. So they forced them into locking in some of their um, some of their losses. And in the process, some, and again, that's what, what I find very ironic here, is you're only hearing the stories about the people that made a ton of money um, with the run-up of GameStop shares and how they took it out on the, on the hedge fund world and how they beat the big guys. Um, but what I don't think that they're really talking too much about is the poor Reddit person who bought GameStop at $450 to $500 a share and is now sitting long in a stock that's now priced less than $50 a share. That person just lost 80% of their value of their stock because they were the last one in uh, before the game of musical chairs ended. And so some of this, uh, I think, you know, you've got to look at it from that perspective is that uh, I would I would fathom and I would guess that there was just as many people who lost money that made it. But, you know, I can't tell you there's almost a day that doesn't go by uh, that I don't hear some wisecrack comment from somebody talking about GameStop or AMC or some of the other stocks that have been affected uh, specifically with the situation. And Jeff, what's, what's really interesting about this is that GameStop's probably going to end up at the place that it started before all this went on. And so what we're really talking about is a few days or a few weeks of volatility. But to your point, because of the people that did stop out of the stock um, or that were forced out because they were not able to cover um, with their uh, credit that they had with their, their trading institutions, the amount of losses on the short side, they were removed from the stock. And now that the stock has settled back down close to where it started, right, they took the loss, but they weren't able to ride it out and see the, the gain come back on the back end. So it's really been a very significant wealth flow, especially from the, the hedge funds and to the people that got in early. And then, of course, um, also people that got into the trade late um, the, their capital went to participants that were wise enough to get out when the stock was in the stratosphere in that 300 to $500 range. And so a lot of pain and a lot of permanent damage inflicted, even though it was only a couple day events. Yeah, I mean, again, for something that's making so much news, I mean, really the rise of it uh, began approximately a month ago. So you're talking about, you know, 20 trading days, but really... Uh, maybe five or six that were big up down days where they were the the, the biggest you know mover of that day uh, was probably five or six days. The other thing that I don't know that they're, that they're talking about, and I think that it is something that uh, uh, will probably come to light at some point um, in the not so distant future, is the collusion. I mean, if, if I got together with, uh, and again, I know hundreds of other firms uh, in this business, so, but if you can imagine that we got together, uh, I wrote a newsletter, uh, or I wrote an email to 10 friends, uh, you know, each one of us controlling billions of dollars of assets under management, and said, starting on Tuesday, I'm going to be buying XYZ stock. You should too. Let's drive the crap out of the price of this. Let's make it rise up a lot, and then we can dump it. Um, that's illegal for me to do. Um, that is collusion. That is a price manipulation. And I can go to jail for doing that. Uh, but yet Reddit 
because it's a newsletter and because each of these people are acting of their own volition on their own and it's not insider information, it's not considered to be something bad. And I have a feeling that uh, in the not so distant future, uh, we'll probably see some regulations handed down uh, upon uh, being able to do something of that nature. So I just don't see how it's different for an individual uh, to, to be in a situation where they have influence and can create that much buying power, selling pressure on a particular investment and not have it be regulated the same way that we are. And I'm not saying that it's due uh, for me you know, out of jealousy or, or spite, uh, probably a little bit of spite. And, and the reason why I throw out spite is that what you're doing is you're undermining the integrity of the markets. I mean, I've received multiple calls from people uh, asking, you know, are we okay? I'm like, well, first of all, you know, I don't think Reddit, if they were to short, uh, try to do a, a buy-in, well, first of all, we're long everything. So if they want to go in and start buying any of our investments, we'd be happy for them to do so. But beyond that, the short sellers don't have enough of a position in anything that we own uh, to really have an influence on it. So it's really not an impact and it's not really anything that I'm concerned with, but it's concerning other people. And when you concern other people, uh, you increase volatility. Increased volatility historically means that it leads to people making unwise decisions within their portfolios. So they get scared and they sell out uh, when there's still tremendous opportunity in this current market environment. So to me, I just don't, I don't see uh, a place for this. Uh, I'm not trying to be a Boy Scout, but uh, I just don't see a place for price manipulation and, uh, and basically having a collusion amongst thousands of investors to try to place, uh, you know, to, Stick it to the hedge fund world, or to uh, to do other things. I just don't see that there's a place in, in investing for that. Yeah, and and Jeff, just to kind of build on that, and this, and I agree with everything you just said. And I, my concern actually extends a little bit further too, because you know, GameStop. I don't know that people are going to be all that concerned overall. I mean, GameStop, unfortunately, is a business model that is a bit outdated. Hopefully, they can figure out a way to become relevant again, or at least I should say, more relevant. But we've seen that this hasn't stopped with GameStop or AMC, which were some of the initial ones, but it's continued and it's gone to now marijuana stocks. And we saw uh, some attempts to manipulate the price of silver. And silver is the one that I really want to keen in on. Silver isn't just a stock, it's a commodity. And companies base their forward contracts, locking in prices on what they're going to pay for silver for the next 12 24, sometimes longer with their forwards and futures on that. Um, it impacts other countries because, of course, silver is not just exclusive to the U.S., but the entire world uses it. I mean, the implications of this type of ma uh, manipulation are far-reaching. And just because they're not professional traders or that they're smaller in size, we're seeing that social media collectively gives them just as much power and I'd argue in some cases more power than what some of the larger firms um, that are out there have. And so to your point, it certainly does jeopardize the integrity of the financial markets, not just for the U.S., but for the entire uh, global marketplace. And so I hope that regulation comes through that's thoughtful, that's fair, but also in, um, disincentivizes people to collude to purposefully manipulate prices. So it'll be interesting to see how this unfolds. 
Um, Jeff, any any last thoughts on this uh, topic before we wrap, we wrap up for today? Yeah, I mean, I think that your social media point is, a, is an excellent one, Jeremy. I mean, like, uh, in my prior life, when I actually was an uh, investment advisor in the brokerage industry, I worked for the largest brokerage industry in the country, and there were 14,000 advisors. So if you had a uh, a company that the analysts loved or uh, an investment thought process, like, you know, again, the, the, the thought behind silver is, is kind of a little bit uh, deeper, but let's just use that as a good example. If you said, okay, let's go in and buy silver across the board in all of our portfolios, you had 14,000 people that were on the phones calling their clients uh, and creating demand. And yes, that price would go up some as a result of uh, an analyst recommendation, but it was done the old fashioned way. Uh, when I was there, no one had discretion. So these people were out there making phone calls all day long to their clients uh, with the recommendations of that firm. Um, and so maybe 100,000 people, maybe, you know, uh, may have gotten a phone call that day, but it's, it's throughout the days and so on. You know, the overarching, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, maybe millions of people, you know, via Facebook, via Twitter, via, you know, any kind of uh, social media outlet. Um, and it can definitely have a much more material influence on buying and selling pressure, just as you're talking about right now, Jeremy. So I do think that it's a, uh, a something that needs to be addressed. It is definitely something that uh, is a little scary to be looking at uh, from a, a shorter term perspective and uh until it's addressed uh you'll, you'll continue to see uh some of these stocks being kind of pushed around and again think about what we, we were just talking about you know now we're, they're going after marijuana stocks these are companies that are lower volume smaller companies where they're able to kind of again have enough influence if they were going to go all throw their weight at buying amazon or apple uh, it's going to be a blip in a day of trading for that uh, so this is really, again, materially impacting only smaller companies for the most part. Um, and, you know, yes, they can have a short-term blip and other things which might bring in bigger traders uh, into the environment via uh, something like silver. So we're going to continue to keep our eye on it. Uh, it's not something that is uh, of particular concern to me with regard to our investment ideology or what the uh, investments are that we're investing in ourselves. Um, but again, it just is um, kind of attacking the foundation, uh, the integrity of the foundation of investing in an open market when the price gets manipulated like that. So that's really what I would say is the biggest risk to the average investor out there right now is not you know the, the fact that they're going to see a material increase or decrease in the value of their shares of an investment they have, it certainly can come into play if they're kind of venturing out in that space. But if they're mainstream investors, this probably is nothing other than uh, a little gnat flying around. Uh, and you know, maybe it gets in your glass of wine, maybe it buzzes around your head, it's gonna be nothing but a nuisance rather than something that's of material impact. Yeah, Jeff, that's a, that's a great way to cap that up, or sum that up, I should say, rather. So Jeff, as always, thank you so much for your time and insights and really appreciated kind of the history of hedge funds. Um, it was interesting uh, just understanding how they work. I think hedge funds are one of those areas where not well understood. They have this kind of mysterious factor to them. But um, to your point, 
and they can actually they can do a lot of different things and uh, they can uh, take less risk uh, as an example but one of the the functions of the the hedge fund world that I think is underappreciated is they also help keep the market efficient right somebody needs to recognize when prices need to go down um, where the pressures from when everyone's long just sometimes are not sufficient to do that uh, in the manner it needs to and so there are a lot of good that come from some of the other market forces that are out there. So, but with that, Jeff, thank you once again, and uh, look forward to our next conversation. But to all of you out there, as always, be happy, be safe, and be healthy. Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, is a federally registered investment advisor. The information, statements, and opinions expressed in this material are provided for general information only and are subject to change without notice. This material does not take into account your particular investment objectives, financial situation or needs, is not intended as a recommendation to purchase or sell any security, and is not intended as individual or specific advice. It should not be construed as investment, legal, or tax advice. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, if necessary, seek professional advice. Polaris Wealth does not offer professional, legal, or tax advice. All information contained herein is believed to be accurate, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, and its representatives are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. Past performance is no guarantee of future returns. Diversification does not assure a profit or protect against loss. Investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. No advice may be rendered by Polaris Wealth Advisory Group, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.